Welcome to That's Deep with Aiden and Jess. In this episode, we talked with Shelton Davis, a amazing human being. They're all amazing human beings. <laughs> all of our guests. Yeah. Um, Shelton's special. For sure, I have my Shelton Davis empathy shirt on for this reflection. Yes. Um, and we've only known him for a short time. Yeah. Um, and, and we've never met him. So mm-hmm. this was our first virtual pod as well, mm-hmm. as he's in Atlanta. Um, so it was cool to kind of play with that and figure that piece out, but then also have an authentic conversation Yeah. with someone that's a ways away that isn't with us. Yeah. Um, so the challenges and learnings with that as well. Yep, yep, exactly. Uh, now, one of the things that you'll see here is because we're doing this on zoom and um maybe there's a different way to to play with how to record and how to present the recording but it you'll see like the individual shots of each Mm -hmm. person as we're as each person talks i think we do lose a little bit of reaction to yeah. each other there yeah um but it was interesting it was a it's a it's a learning and growing process from the the podcast perspective um shelton talks about empathy which makes sense since that is the work that he leads um in the human-centered design realm and in life i think he he it's not just about work it is how he lives it's how he grew up um he talks about his upbringing being quite diverse in terms of culture religion and um all of that so Empathy has, Empathy Lab, he says, has always been around, or at least has mm-hmm. been around since, since his childhood. And um, he's just continuing that work. Yeah, and he's continuing that work. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a heavy lift. Yeah. Uh, and we talked a little bit about that and yes. how exhaustive it is and how yeah. important it is and how he models that. Um, the catalyst that I have a note from is he talks about being kind and compassionate with ourselves and others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he talks about how do we do that as teams that are building something together Yeah. Um, as a starting foundational point. Um, and if we can do that and good, get good there, the rest of that process seems to work itself out. And we leave other, we leave ourselves in a better place. We leave others in a better place. The world is a better place because of that. Mm-hmm. It's super energized when I hear him speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in we get to we get to visit with him weekly through our empathy athlete community. Yes. Um, so we get we get that on a on a pretty regular basis. Yeah. Uh, but even listening back to it yesterday, I felt good afterwards, just in terms of. Um, who he is and the change that he's driving and a better understanding of the why behind that. 
Uh, he's a powerful voice and someone that I look up to, um, someone that I'm learning from, mm -hmm. someone that I continue to learn from yeah. that's doing amazing work at the front end of empathy. Um, so I get, I get energy from that. Being around people that have thought this through, that teach other people this, that do mm -hmm. such a great place, such a great job of holding space for other people. Yes. To be real and authentic and vulnerable. Yeah. And he's able to do that on a in a virtual setting. Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes a Zoom call with folks mm -hmm. that he doesn't know. Um, and when I first start, first met him and started going to his meetings, that was what stood out to me. It's just, mm -hmm. it's difficult to do in person. It's, it's a difficult thing to practice in person. And he's got it at a place where uh, he can have those virtually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that holding space and then, um, and the, the heavy work of that. Um, what do I want to talk about? I think I said, <laughs> I think I kind of like narrowed it down. Um, we talk about, oh, I really liked that was a key takeaway for me. Talking about the wheel of priv of power and privilege yeah. and the way that he framed that, it, that so there's, there's certain, oh gosh, what, what, like ways of being that are closer, ways of being or just traits, qualities of person that may be closer to that power center. However, he framed it also as like in context, right? Like people, whatever the, whatever their um, status, whatever their um, male, female, race, religion, sexual orientation, right? You may be in a different place of power depending on the context of the situation. Yeah. And I really, really appreciated that because I think that, um, I think that helps to alleviate some of this guilt that people feel about maybe having privilege in an area because then you're you're looking at it as like okay well i don't i'm not always in power mm -hmm. right like in certain in certain scenarios i may be closer to the outside of that power center than um uh than in other cases mm -hmm. so i think that's that was a really important thing to to note i think about privilege a lot and the mm -hmm. tool that he has there and the conversation that he has there helped me think about it. Um, I sometimes feel guilt about the privilege that I carry. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think he said that was okay, right? That's, that's at least an awareness of it, but share it, mm -hmm. understand it, recognize it, and then look for ways to share it. Yeah, sharing, sharing the power. Yeah. Um, building other people up to a place where they feel comfortable and safe and, and okay to be vulnerable in that space uh, while also recognizing that he, that I do have some power and privilege um, depending on the environment, mm -hmm. who else is in the room, what the room looks like. Right. 
yeah. Um, what else? Yeah, Empathy Athlete. Shout out to Empathy Athlete community mm -hmm. um, and, the, and the work that he's doing there. We'll link to his stuff. I would encourage all of you um, to go to go find his website and the potential to uh, either be a part of a weekly uh, mm -hmm. touch base or the Empathy Athlete community is a year-long um, effort that he's putting on. Um, I think after you view this and get a chance to hear him speak about this and how passionate he is about it and his why behind it, uh, you'll be interested in learning more about that. I would encourage you to join us uh, either as part of the Empathy Athlete community mm -hmm. or as part of some of the weekly stuff that he does, that yeah. he offers. Yeah, he offers a lot. He does a lot. <laughs> he's teaching, yeah, he's teaching teams. He's teaching teachers. He's teaching mm -hmm. facilitators. He's looking to spread his message, yeah. and I think we can be a part of that. And, yeah. and um, how much I believe, how much we believe in his stuff and who mm -hmm. he is, uh, and Jen, then just thinking about what what the world looks like if we all um, make right. make an intentional practice around this piece of it. Yes. About being more, about spending more time in the space, both for ourselves. He talks a lot about me yeah, empathy. Yeah, me empathy. Yeah, take taking taking inventory, right? Like we talk, talk about energy, talk about baggage, and um, then taking that pause, looking at, okay, now where am I? Because that's important too, right? Like you can just take energy and baggage and then go <laughs> right into, into whatever it is that you do. Um, but that important piece of actually taking time to look at where you're at with those with those tools yeah yeah uh it talks about practice too everything we want to mm -hmm. get better at takes practice, takes practice everything yeah. we want to do that is worth doing takes time and practice yeah uh, and then if we are practicing the pathways that we intentionally want to practice for ourselves that gives us power to get through things and if we practice with others, you get the many, many bi mm -hmm. biceps in your brain. Mm -hmm. So we just talked about how that changes, how, how practice, intentional practice plays a pivotal role in, in how to do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. So with that, we hope that you enjoy the episode. Thanks all. Thank you. Welcome to That's Deep with Eden and Jess. Uh, today we have Shelton Davis with us. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Uh, Shelton describes himself as a son, a grandson, a friend, a husband to Laura, a father of two kids, a daughter and son, and an ever-practicing design professional. Uh, the founder of Empathy Lab, founded in 2018, uh, which is an empathy-driven experienced design lab. Uh, and he runs empathy decathlon practices for both individuals and teams that believe that empath empathetic communities of people build amazing futures. Uh, thanks for being on, Shelton, and welcome. Thank, yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Jess. Yeah, when I am. Oh, when, say, when you say when you when I'm introduced out loud, I'm always like, "Who is that guy?" Like. Uh, and then I'm like, oh gosh, it's me. And now I feel like I'm like, if you, I'm, can I, am I blushing? And... <laughs> this 
obviously an amazing human being, right? That we've had a chance to connect with through the empathy athlete, uh, empathy training and empathy athlete community and had, had a chance to get to know and share some ideas. Uh, we have a, a number of topics that we'd like to, to discuss uh, and have an open conversation there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super excited. Um, was introduced to uh, Empathy Lab through Eden, and then of course joined the Empathy Athlete Athlete Community, which I absolutely love, and I think it's so needed in all spaces. The education around empathy. I feel for myself like I'm a little late to the to the empathy game. <laughs> um, but I have been just really enjoying getting to know you and um, seeing what you do and the energy and effort that you put into that space is inspiring and encouraging. So I deeply appreciate that. Um, and I think we can probably jump into some, um, I kind of want to like go deep right away here. And can I say something before? Yes, please. Are you familiar with Kronos versus Kairos? No. So Kronos is, is like time, right? Your watch. And Kairos is experience of life. And I believe that getting to the game, empathy game is Kairos time. You get there when you get there, you're not late, right? You, you, you get there yeah. with whatever, like you could be 102, you can be two years old. It's like, it's kind of like Legos, right? I think on the box on Legos, it says good for ages, like three to no, eight to 88 or something like that. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that you're not late. Um, yeah. Yeah. I view you as on the leading edge and as an innovator in this space. And I think you're early to the game, but I like the reframe of the timing of you get there when it's right for you, when you understand and are ready for the concept. Yeah. Uh, and then how do you integrate that into some of the work that you're doing? Yeah, it's 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 um. thank you. It's I there was a point in time where I felt I was late to the game until I realized <laughs> that it wasn't it's not a game right we're not in a, we're not in competition we're not in transaction of of who's the best empathizer around um mm -hmm. because as i've gone deeper and, and we can talk later on this but as i went deeper into the the thought the thoughts and the research and the academic and and like the different ways of thinking of empathy and where it came from it's like no this 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 has been talked about for a long time um we've been struggling with trying to figure out how to be in relationship with ourselves and with each other we've created things called psycho like sciences called psychology we look into like mind body solutions so like it's thousands of years old this concept and it's just just um we haven't it's not been put in schools, right? Um, it's not not framed as you need this to be a good person, good partner, good worker, right? It's just like it's um, not in, not in the fabric in the way that we've created culture mm -hmm. currently. Yeah. 
Um, well, why don't we actually start there then with how you came to this, how you came to create Empathy Lab? Why was that so important for you to bring to yourself and then into other spaces yeah. and other people? Um, so <laughs> I, I think uh, um, there's, there's few people that know the origin of, of the, the, the deeper origin of Empathy Lab. It didn't start off with the word empathy at all. Mm. Um, which is interesting. Uh, I realized that there was a missing connection between people, um, and I wanted to hope, uh, find ways of connecting in ways that weren't, I have a job for you, you need to get the job done, let's connect over the job, right? Or it, it had to be life experiences, and so... <laughs> This is a pretty bad name, but uh, it used to be called QD, QD, Q, like Q, D, of okay. uh, uh, QD. So quick daily questions. I can't remember the full name, but anyways, I wanted people to start talking. Um, mm. I wanted people to start sharing about their lives. Uh, and the, the catalyst to this was, is I've, I've been a user experience designer, industrial designer for Longer than I, yeah, no, not usually people say longer than I want to recognize. No, I've been doing it for over 15 years and that's like awesome. Mm -hmm. I, I, I feel very fortunate to have found um, the side of, of helping people through design. And the one big kernel that I kept recognizing through my career is while I could listen and empathize with individuals we were serving on the outside, someone that might be paying us money for a product or service, it became less apparent that we were being empathetic with ourselves and each other within teams, within communities. We just existed together in order to get the things done. And sometimes we were not kind and compassionate to, to one another to serve the common purpose, the common goal. Um, and so that's been the that's been the catalyst. Like, I, I want people building the world to have a have a skill set that I think is missing. Um, that is only pointed towards money, and it needs to be pointed back in towards themselves and the community to like, like to, to build humanity. Uh, and, and the, the Stanford uh, made a little bit of a tangent. There's a. Um, pretty popular school at Stanford, Stanford's D school. And they, they talk about design thinking, um, this, this, this process of, of listening and then solving problems. And the first step of design thinking is empathize. Mm -hmm. And you can, be, uh, you can be getting your MBA, you can be a mechanical engineer, you can be any, head of HR, you can be doing anything in the world and go through this process of, of empathizing with, with a group of people to then define what their problem is. Then you iterate together to figure out how to solve that problem. You create a prototype and then you test it with them. So like this is cycle, right? Issue with the cycle is you start by empathizing outside, right? And so Empathy Lab really is, how do we start empathizing inside? 
um, in ourselves and within our communities and teams so that we can serve humanity, hopefully in a better way. What does that look like, Shelton? Self-empathy practice, what does that look like? Great you talk us yeah. yeah. Um, there's been a lot of, there, there's a lot of researchers, there's a lot of, um, from academia to like spirituality on how to work on self. Um, and I, I can think of a few books and authors that are sitting next to me now, like Dan Siegel is one of them, Dan Goldman, Helen Reese. They, they, they talk about not just bringing your full self, but like examining yourself to bring it forward. Um, and some of the things that we do at, with the Empathy Decathlon is we focus on, uh, so Decathlon, 10 skills. You both know this stuff. It's 10 skills, right? And the first five are really focused on me. So in order to get a better understanding of what we're, what I'm going through, right? And maybe be able to share it with people that I'm with, is I look into what's bringing me energy. Uh, what, uh, and that could be anything from, what did I share earlier today? Um, a friend left a pen at my office and I love this pen, I don't wanna give it back, it's giving me energy. And I asked my friend, um, Teresa Ward, if I could keep it, she said yes. So this is giving me energy, it's really small, right? But examining the things that give us energy um, is the first piece of the, the empathy as you asked about um and it's purposeful why it's energies first because the next one is baggage so if micro skill one is energy we're, we're gathering we're getting a bank full of energy right um because we know that when, when we wake up there's gonna be great things that happen in the world and there's also gonna be things that are gonna weigh us down so the next thing is baggage like examining what baggage we have uh and it this is this is one of these things that we usually look at baggage as like a bad thing, um, which it certainly can be. But if we, I try to help uh, anyone that goes through the decathlon and realize that you need to step back and have no judgment of the reality, right? Um, the fact that you stubbed your toe isn't um, the, the walls um, attack on you, right? Um, nothing attacked you. Like it just so happened that you have a stubbed toe. And so looking at baggage in a way that makes you um, kind of drop the emotion with it and just the realization like these are the things that I'm carrying, known or unknown, so that you can go into three more, well, two more practices really. Um, Self-awareness. This is uh, Dan Siegel does this uh, four-part um, wheel of awareness exercise where he goes through the five senses. And I know you've done that plenty of times with me, you too. Um, you go through the five senses, then you go inside your body, like a body scan. Uh, then you go into like the, the, your surroundings, then you think about yourself in the world, right? So it's, it's a self-awareness scan to kind of put you back in place um, wherever you're at. And then the last of the me skills is inventory. We just, like the three things I just talked about, that's. It's a lot of stuff, right? And so this inventory step is a pause. Um, and this is one thing that, that I think we fail to do a lot because our schedules are packed is slow down. So this is a, a me slow. I get to go slow and think about where I'm at. I can stare at a wall for a couple minutes and, and, and calm or be curious, right? 
that all sets us up for listening to others. So yeah, the me empathy is like, it's really just like, how do I, like, where am I at? How am I doing? You talk about empathy as a muscle and empathy as a practice. Um, you explain kind of that mindset as you look at maybe that skill or characteristic. Yeah, uh, muscle and practice. So um, the, let me go back just a little bit. So I did briefly talk about the empathy decathlon. Um, and there's many other, there's many other empathy practices out there. And I'm not saying any of them are better or worse or like, it's just, what's your flavor, right? I was a decathlete a long time ago, um, more than 15 years ago. And I had hair at the time. Um, and part of the decathlon, 10 events, like, at track and field is practicing like no one oh am i gonna do it hold on please hold oh no i usually have a shot put in my little um thing over there no one picked up a shot put and it's like were was amazing at throwing a shot put right they they learned that it was heavy they learned that they got put it on their chin they had to do a spin or a glide everything that we want to get better at um takes practice like we don't get to just walk in and be lebron james or we don't get to just just um be a surgeon on day one right it, everything that we want to do that is worth doing takes time and practice and there's so much talk about empathy and, and compassion being soft skills and while i understand why it's done calling it a muscle makes it something that is 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 um flexible it, it is something that is buildable it is something that you can work on for you right and the nice thing about muscles yeah there's competitions on the biggest bicep i have no idea um there's competitions out there but we're not competing with empathy muscles right we're just trying to get better for ourselves Mm -hmm. um, because it's it's not it's not a muscle that serves one like like the outside purpose it's a muscle that helps us it protects us it fuels us and then you know when other people need it we can use our practice to help support others so um it, it's i don't know maybe it's a, a radical thing to think that it's a um a muscle and practicable but i think it puts it in a um, approachable mindset. I mean, uh, Jess, you, you, yeah. you right. It's yeah. like you, you don't, you don't get to do certain poses right at the beginning, right? You have to work your way and into mm -hmm. it even through a practice. And I, I think that the, the beauty of, of empathy is I don't think it's ever, um, you're never done. Right. It's not you don't get 10,000 hours. You're like an expert, right? <laughs> you, you're, you get 10,000 hours and you're a better person for yourself and those that are around you. Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate that um, way of kind of making it more concrete and this idea of that we're doing this for ourselves. Um, it's just like I think about the idea of 
forgiveness, for example, right? It's not about, it's not about um, necessarily letting the other person off the hook or even having anything to do with the other person, but it's so that we can feel some kind of release from anger or bitterness or sadness and move forward for mm-hmm. ourselves. Um, so I love that idea of the empathy muscle because it is something that we develop. And I think that is why it can be for those of us that are trying to develop that or any other skills around um, self-improvement, um, there is an effort and a need then because of that effort for rest to take inventory, to take that pause um, because it's, it is big work. <laughs> it's exhaustive work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, it's, it's, you couldn't do like 24 hours or, or even 12, I don't know, six hours of yoga without needing a break. Right. Yeah. And it's like mm-hmm. we treat our brains like some magical computer that doesn't tire, that doesn't get distracted, that doesn't get stressed. And when we do that, and we, we, we think it's just this magical thing. It's like, we, we're going to put ourselves in weird positions. Um, there's a, there's a, uh, I don't have the book next to me, but Dan Siegel talked, he's a, he's a researcher, physician, focuses on neurobiology. And he has this thing that, it, that I don't remember what book it is, but he says something along the lines of where your attention goes neuro neural firing flows and where neuro fire firing flows your brain grows right and so the more that we use this we're actually it's like you're creating grooves you're creating pathways and if we are practicing the pathways that we intentionally want to practice for ourselves um that gives us power to get through things and if we practice with others again it's like you get you get many many biceps in your brain, which is weird thinking, but you know <laughs> it's it's real, right? Yeah. Um. Talk about what this. So, oh, talk about authenticity, because you have this blog post that we recently read. And let me just read the quote that a couple of quotes that I that really stood out to me. Living under a manipulative and broken culture's expectations will only reduce my ability to thrive for myself and support love care for my family and others. I will create my own path a boxless reality framed with curiosity and love, respect and compassion. And then the other quote that I wrote here is, my success requires that I take this path of authenticity. 
And Eden and I have been exploring this idea of authenticity um, with how we are sharing other people's stories, how much of other people's, uh, how much of that story our guests want to share and mm-hmm. what authenticity looks like for for everyone is so seems so different Mm -hmm. so talk a little bit about what authenticity means to you and how you practice it um maybe any talk about the 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 upbringing a little bit and what that looks like yeah i know it's a lot (laughs) it's question it's it's something that I, i i I was saying earlier that empathy and compassion is like a never ending journey of evolution, right? And I think authenticity um, is is also one of these these self-examinations um, that that I, I can't profess this for anyone else. I, I would maybe suggest it, um, but it, it kind of a, a look at what does it mean to be me, right? What are the things that um, help me um, build energy? How how does it help me connect with people? Um, and then, kind of, the, I think within that that blog post, I talked about the the, the boxes I didn't create. Um, part of being authentic is, again, for me, is examining the places that make me feel constrained. Right. And then questioning why that constraint is there. Like if I walk into an office building and I feel off, like, why do I feel off? And, um, and then the next question, and this is a topic I haven't covered much of is, am I, have you heard of code switching? Am I changing myself in order to fit into someone else's narrative? Right. Mm. And, and while I think that there has been a, a legacy of necessity around code switching so that any, any, any individual feels safe um, in a space. It's kind of something that we do. Like it's something that is, is, I wouldn't say natural, but sometimes necessary for safety and survival. Mm-hmm. Being authentic to me is, is one realizing I'm okay. Um, and no one's coming after me. There's no tigers. There's no bears. There's no um, things coming to um, hurt me. Um, and even that, you know, there's no humans really coming after me and trying to hurt me. So then if I was my authentic self, if I, if I decided to wear something crazy or speak my mind in a respectful uh, way that I am willing to take accountability for my words or my actions, then why shouldn't I be sharing it? Right. Um, and so it, for me in this moment in my life, it's, it's realizing that I, maybe there's a little regret that I didn't show up as more authentic me in the past when that's all that everyone else was asking for. Right. I've, when, I don't know. I think we we have friends um, that you and me, we probably have friends when we know they're not saying all they want to say. 
you can feel them holding back. Um, and they fear judgment. Um, I think we talked about it earlier. They fear judgment. They feel being outed. They feel looking silly or being embarrassed. And I think holding space for my authenticity is um, also a gesture towards others that I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to make you feel embarrassed. I'm not even here to give you solutions or feedback. I'm here to hold space to let you explore being you, right? Uh, whether I agree with it or not, like it is, <laughs> you're, you're born into this world to, to be curious and, and, and grow and live together, not to shame and judge each other. So yeah. I've gone everywhere, but I don't know if that, that, that helped, yeah. Job of that in your facilitation, you describe yourself as a listener, uh, and I think what you described there was listening to understand and not listening to judge. Um, and I think you were talking, you describing kind of psychological safety, and and I'm interested in your experience with that kind of creating those environments so that teams can work together um, to share different lived experiences and perspectives. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your experience in that space? Yeah. Um, gosh, safety. Um, I, you, you all did it for me when we started this. Um, you gave me, you gave me boundaries. You gave me the, um, the, the, the warm hug and handshake of we're here with you and for you. Right. Um, in that, this is recorded, uh, but this isn't live. And this is something between us as intimate as we can or as deep as we wanna go um, with the knowledge that we can, things can be edited out, right? Things can be, um, be just between us three, right? Um, and I think that when I work with individuals and clients, I try to do exactly what you did is, is acknowledge that we're going to a place or not even we're going, we could be in a place where you share something that you've never said to anyone else about your boss, right? Or about your colleague or the partner that you're with. And my job is not to go share that with the world. I'm not like gossip person at all. My job is to hold space for you. And I think that in talking with literally doesn't even have to be a client or, or or someone's like hey i want to talk about empathy it's it's literally i think it's something that maybe was something that my mom did with me um she oh. held space um and and she taught me and she taught me through action um that um life is is complex and crazy and sometimes great sometimes bad um, and that it's just all part of it. And so how can we like hold the space in a safe way that our, it was just my mom and I had this like little two person like um, community and, and we would share everything. Um, and it was and with my grandparents as well, but it was probably something that's been born in to like try and hold space for people not being bullied or um, judged for being too tall or too small or having two left feet when they dance it doesn't matter as long as like you're showing up in life goes back to authenticity if i want authenticity i've got to hold safe space for people right um and i and 
part of that has been um, throughout my life, like defending people, which is weird against those that want to judge, those that want to like poke. It's like, what, what, what are you getting at? Why, why do we need to go there? Um, it's, what are you gaining from this? But that's a whole nother, like someone else is dealing with some baggage that we don't see. I'm not here to judge them, but don't need to put the, uh, the, the bullying or unsafe behavior on other people. Where do you want to go from here, Jess? Should we talk about young Shelton a little bit? Did you ask about kind of childhood? Um, yeah. Kind of, yeah. What's what's the question set there, Jess? Mm. Um, I mean, I think you already kind of got into it, right? Like this idea of how your childhood impacted where you are now with regards to empathy. It sounds like yeah. there is a lot um, that was set up for you. Um, by your mom's holding that space. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about, maybe you can speak a little bit to identity and race and, because um, I myself am black and white. My dad is black, my mom is white and I feel sometimes I've often never, I've never really identified with either race. I've existed as this person who identifies more with whatever my values happened to be at the different, at my different stages of life. And so maybe you can speak to how you look at identity. Mm. Yeah, from where kind of where I grew up. Yeah, it's I'm very similar. Uh, I've uh, my my father is black, my mother is white. Um, I grew up in Southern California, and I think that's it's it's worth noting because that meant that uh, my neighbors were all all different races, and so. Um, if I had one black friend, I had another another Vietnamese friend, and then we had you know in, individuals that were like Hindu or Jewish. It was like we were all over the place, and it, it location wise, growing up, it 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 meant that I wasn't um, everyone was an other, <laughs> if that makes sense. Everyone was their own token in my fam in my my friend group. Um, and it, it made it so like you just you just played basketball and rode bikes together, you know, you just that's you just go, went and did that. But growing not but and growing up, um, having a different perspective with my mom around and then eventually my, my dad being in the picture um, was really shaped by how my mom and my grandparents kind of like organized my life. Um, I. I don't consider myself religious um, to a to a, a certain ideology. Uh, that being said, uh, my grandfather was reverend of of a church um, in Southern California. My grandparents were also missionaries, which meant they went to Africa at a point in time to spread the gospel. Um, 
And my mom was born in Zaire or Democratic Republic of the Congo. And so was my, my uncle. And so I, by them having that experience, my mom was there until she was 12, gave her a different perspective on the world. Um, she was the only uh, or one of very few little white girls in the middle of the heart of the Congo, right? And so she was on the outside and she was loved, uh, not because um, Reverend Bernie was the pastor, um, but it was because Reverend Bernie and the family was part of the community, right? It, was, it wasn't part of spreading religion, from my understanding, it was supporting um, the greater good of the community. Like, figure out how to get food, water, medical, teaching of kids, and especially girls how to read. Like, there's a lot that happened there. So coming back to the States, they, and then me growing up, I, I, I grew up, it's weird. I think I grew up like household wise, not in America, <laughs> uh, because my, my mom spoke two African languages, Lingala and Lungundo. She also spoke French. Uh, my grandparents spoke some German and then English. So there's five languages in my house. Mm. I spoke one and I knew I was in trouble when they spoke the other ones. <laughs> or something was happening, maybe not me being in trouble. But it was very multinational in the house as well. My grandparents, because of their their service to not just not Christianity, but to the world would bring people into the house where we would go places of, to do service. Um, and so there's always been this thread of creating space, um, creating safe space in, in my family. Uh, my, my grandfather was a big, like, you know, as a boy trying to have like a, a father figure, like he was my older father figure. And I, I watched him teach like move a congregation from just like normal to open and affirming. They, they, they had, they, they made it a place for everyone to be there. They, they made services in different languages, brought different uh, individuals in to do service. And then eventually towards the end of my grandfather's life, he taught um, different religions. Like he took it upon himself to be like, all right, what is, what is Taoism? What is Buddhism? What is what's what's Hinduism? Um, like it, he Catholicism, like he uh, Judaism. He went had Sunday school for all isms, right? Not the racisms, but like the the, it, the ideology isms, right? Yeah. And so, be kind of watching him give sermons and holding space and letting people ask the questions that might feel dumb has been like where I. I've been I've been able to watch um, and observe, and and so childhood kind of like helped frame. I don't know. Empathy Lab has been around for a long time. It's just never been named Empathy Lab, and it was started by you know my grandparents most likely. But it is a just like how do we hold space um, perspective that I, I got from from not just parents but the kids that I was around. Um, they held space for me which was awesome. Now I want to hold space for that others. Is, yeah. Yeah. 
Does that happen today? Are there still folks practicing the isms and bringing people together and, and sharing, you know, takeaways from different religions? Um, maybe in some spots it is, and it continues to happen. I don't see it enough, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I, that's a great question. I, um, I am sure, to your point, yes, it's probably happening. Uh, the Back then, we're all old enough to recall when there was no internet, right? Um, and so the things that you that you you took into your life were from friends and family, your neighborhood, um, and so you could hear about uh, a, a group talking about what is the meaning of of love and what's the meaning of anger and what do we do with you know uh, potholes in the street. Like there was a lot of community discussion. And I think we live in, a, in an interesting era where um, we're, we're almost encouraged to be on a polarity. Mm -hmm. And it's either like you are this way or you're not this way. And then if you want to talk about it, you better be ready for trolls to come after you. So I think that people are having the conversations, but not out loud because they're afraid of the judgment and the lack of safe space to be like, I don't understand critical race theory or I don't understand what um, is the big deal about abortion, right? Like there's there's some topics out there that uh, we we anchor into, and then once we anchor into them, we are on that polar side. There's no there's no gray, even though we all live in the gray area, right? Mm -hmm. I, I feel like your uh, your group, Eden, is is uh, uh, dudes and tacos is gonna is one of these like entities where you're going to be able to have deeper, thoughtful conversations around subject matter that um, isn't uh, normally discussed, isn't, or maybe top of mind, but no outlet to go have that, that conversation. Right, and do it in a safe place with others and make it safe for others to have conversation and lean in and tell stories around that. That's a yeah. good example. And with tacos. Tacos on Tuesday, right. <laughs> Where do you want to go from here, Jess? Yeah, so let's see. I, feel I, like we're... I was going to say, I don't know if I, I, I captured what your, your question was for the, 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 the um, upbringing. So if there's other piece, pieces of that that I need to cover, please let me know. I think that was very thorough. It and it helps me understand where you're coming from and how this is sort of a natural thing for you to create these spaces, um, to create this space for people to um, to to be. To, ha to have conversation around empathy, around energy, around baggage. Um, yeah, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to collect my own, I'm trying to collect my own thoughts. I sometimes feel that on these, um, on these shows, on the show that, um, like, I don't want to speak necessarily too much about even though it's a conversation too much about myself and my experience 
but I think that's part of where I was coming from when I when I was talking about kind of being behind with with empathy, not so much the that you know this this practice in community, but just empathy in and of itself mm-hmm. because of upbringing that was a little bit uh, uh, different <laughs> um, in terms of how much um, there was gossip, there was judgment, there was, yeah, yeah, yeah. there was a lot of that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just really appreciating that you had that sort of practice going on all along. Um, maybe talk about some of the some of the baggage, some of the challenges around that, around me empathy, practicing that with yourself, and then also with bringing that to others who, for who may mm-hmm. either not necessarily see the value or who have a much harder time. I feel for myself, for example, like my capacity for compassion and empathy for others, like I have a little bit lower um tolerant a, a little bit my my capacity my capacity is a little bit less than mm-hmm. even though right like don't necessarily want to compare but it's very difficult not to i see so many other people that um just seem to be able to empathize and be compassionate a lot more easily yeah. than I can. <laughs> it, it, it's baggage of empathy. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's real. Um, or, let's talk organized sports for a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eden, what, what's your organized sport of choice? Referee youth basketball. So I'm I'm an empathetic official, and I see a lot of energy going around in that gym. We could use that. My son plays football as well, so I'm familiar with with either of those sports. Um, is do you referee with another referee? How does that work? Is are you the solo? Yeah. Yep, two. Yep, two referees. Um, it breaks down. Like I'm guessing your enjoyment of of refereeing a, a game breaks down with when your teammate, your other referee is not present or doing the work to understand the rules, right? It Things slide by and it kind of puts you in a frustrating position, maybe? You're as good as your partner is. You're as good as the cohesion of your partner and your job gets a lot more difficult if there isn't trust and communication on the other side. Yes, the short answer is yes. It, uh, it's and and, and if, if, even if you were on the basketball team, there's was a, there's five on five, right? 
Um, one person just not pulling, they, they didn't go to practice. They can't sub them out. They, um, they're just like throwing up half court shots over their back all the time and in never making it, it just goes out of bounds. And you're just like, I, we're never gonna win. We can't be a productive basketball team if, if this kid just continues to do these wild shots. This is my frustration with empathy as a muscle. Um, I'm just finishing up a book by Bell Hooks, and I've mentioned it a couple times, um, all about love. And we live in a society where if, if we're all focused on power, money, sex, material goods, um, then that's where you're going to put your practice. That's where you're going to put your focus and your energy, right? Um, and that's not the direct route to any of those things. The direct route to the things that we want to share is with each other and through understanding and the relationships that we have. So we want more, we don't necessarily want more power. Is, is That's not the, the objective. We want less oppression, right? Um, we want more security. And so I find it, I, I, you know, I'm with you, Jess. Like sometimes I feel like I just, I have zero capacity to empathize with this person that's not doing their work, right? It's not, it's, it's, they're not refereeing the same game that I'm refereeing, right? Um, they're looking at their phone and during free throws. It's, it's hard, right? And, and I think that, um, what is that? What is that statement? Um, death by a thousand paper cuts or something like that. I, I think that we don't take into consideration how exhausted we are, even if we're high energy and low baggage, how exhausted we are because of the culture that we live in, right? The, 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 the culture for, for women, for minorities is, is it's already, you, you got to like climb up several several wrongs to get on even even keel with other individuals that might have that power and privilege right and so there's there's a there's almost a a generational pre-exhausting that is built into individuals um that um it's hard to get over um it's easy to get um bitter about it or um have resentment and I, and i think that and, and that's not that's not a bad thing. It's one of those things that being able to recognize it is is a good thing. But my baggage is is definitely weighty there at times. Like this month, it's pretty weighty. Like I, Black History Month. Um, and then like getting phone calls about, hey, can you talk about can you talk about Black History? I'm like, I could, I can. Um, why didn't you call me a couple months ago to set this up? Right. Like I, it, and so like compassion and empathy for something that's been around since the 1930s, um, you should be able to do your homework here. And so when people don't do their homework, I, it's, it's hard. It's, it's really difficult. And, and that goes for, I'm not, I'm not putting it on any like one person. It's like, if you are my son that doesn't do his homework, you impact me, right? If you are um, um, a coworker that doesn't do the homework, it impacts me. And I think that um, 
there's a lot of excuses for not doing their our work um and yet still giving power and authority to those that kind of just show up and get to go like it's this it's not it doesn't make an even playing field it makes it exhausting mm -hmm. i feel like we can have like a whole nother hour and a half on this one <laughs> Your kids do your homework. Your kids do their homework, though. That's not an issue in the in the Shelton <laughs> Davis. <They don't. laughs> um, yeah, it's um, it's interesting. Just thinking of homework, um, and what's the motivation for my daughter to do long division? Uh, um, um, fraction like multiplying fractions and dividing fractions what is her motivation that is some like she she, she doesn't get, get to go multiply the um, fractions and then go outside and get a new bike or anything like that there's no like she can't see the end to that so i i get it um when we talk about when we're talking about like refereeing your referee compadre he's he's he or she is there to work with you to call one of the best games you could do right then right and if they don't do their homework and they're winning flip-flops and they don't have their striped jersey on they're just not showing up it, it, it like there was an agreement right there's an agreement that you're both going to show up and do this thing um you can see the result of this thing kind of pretty short term um whereas my daughter can't see the result of it short term so it, does, it has less value and I think that's the big issue with telling, like having people practice empathy is like, they can't see the immediate value mm. in, in doing the work now um, because it's not, it's not gonna happen. I don't get the result in a grade report, right? Or I don't get the result in a raise. I don't get the result in really anything that we measure against now. The result is, intrinsic right the result is relational um and it's not always guaranteed and that that makes it difficult to to mm -hmm. prove that this is something you should be doing just because you're empathetic and compassionate doesn't mean that you're gonna get all the power no it's just it's it's you're gonna be better for yourself and hopefully for that person was working on some long division last night at the kitchen table with my son so it was uh why and why do i need to learn this and how am i going to use this yep and can't i just use a calculator yes yep so i'm in the thick in the thick of that um and we had a good conversation and he has a a test today um that he said he felt good about going into so that just just those types of conversations, right? And I, I told him, you know, there will be things that you are asked to do that you will never use again, uh, right? And so what's the incentive and, and how do you make it worth it? And how do you make him feel like he's worth it uh, with some of the conversation we had? Yeah. Oh, long division. There's new special division now. I don't like, or special math. I'm like, I, please, I need, I need to go back to elementary school. But yeah, convincing <laughs> <laughs> a way for me not being able to help him with his math 
Right. So yeah, I was I was helpful last night, but uh, I could see that it's coming soon. Where it's going to be like I don't I don't know, and then he's going to say, "If you don't know, and you were taught this, you know, that's a whole new conversation." I <laughs> right. So what's the purpose, Dad? All right. Something. Hey. Something. Oh, go ahead. I I had no. You were about to say something and I interrupted. I was just saying if you had, okay. Um, uh, yeah, the new, so <laughs> maybe a little tangent. Um, the new math, I, I remember looking at, uh, looking at something, I don't know, it's like a, uh, it wasn't really a meme, but it was like a something on, online. And I figured it, I like figured it out, like what they were doing, right? Like they're just expanding the, either the addition or, or subtraction to help you to understand how you're getting at a particular number. So it's not the, or answer. So it's not so much, so it's kind of going back to, actually this is kind of connected, this idea of empathy not having a, uh, the practice of empathy, not, not, it's more of a journey, a lifelong journey than it is anything about the, the destination. And mm -hmm. that's, I think, kind of what this new math has been all about. Um, I, I don't know if you call it new, it's been quite a few years now, but um, where it's about how do we get to this mm -hmm. it's about the journey and i think it seems there's a very right now at least what i what i see it's is and and maybe this has always been it, it it's like very elite group of people and I mean elite in the way that like just small group mm -hmm. of people that are willing and able and carry forth the energy to do the work on themselves because that idea of continuing the journey uh, or of um, of looking at life as a journey and appreciating the the nuances along the way is difficult. Um, and I mean, and people like people want, especially now with technology and how easy it is just to like Google an answer. People want, you know, the thing right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if I have a question around that. I, I think I can like immediate immediate gratification is is um is is a, a worthwhile subject to kind of bounce off of empathy. Um mm. it's it's not there are instances where you can have immediate gratification when someone else is being authentic has the capacity to show up 
um, empathetically and compassionately. Um, when that collaboration or that connection or the relationship just kind of like feels like flow, mm. then you're just like, oh my, why do I not do this all the time? Like there is immediate gratification in, in those connections. Um, even if it's on like, we're talking about something negative. Like if someone's like, they, they get it, they don't judge you for it. They're like, okay, let's just move on. Like, our brains are usually trying to go to the worst case scenario, but when we get the, the that flow with someone that's done their own work, it's like someone just effing did a magic trick. Like, how is this happening that this person gave the exact right response that my brain is not trying to fight, flight, or fight, flight, or freeze, and I feel heard, seen, and this problem is now gone. That's that's incredible, and I think that's what the practice is, right? Like to have those moments. Maybe that's the Olympic mountain, you know, Mount Olympus. To get to the top of that, like we're looking for, what do they say in Buddhism? And it's or multiple. You're looking for enlightenment, right? And it's not a place. Um, it's a state of being. And if we're looking for constant states of enlightenment, constant states of flow, how do we do our homework? personally and collectively to get to that state of flow. So that maybe we could, maybe we need to market <laughs> of empathy as a, um, a quick road to um, uh, gratification and enlightenment. Like you practice together, you get, you get enlightened for a second. It's not, you don't get it forever. It's just like you had it and now you move on. You don't get to keep it. You have to keep practicing it. But yeah, if we always want grat that you need it for grat gratification for everything that we do, be it math, Eden, and, and like, when am I going to use this? Um, yeah, it's like we're, we're going to, we put our, we pickle ourselves. Two kind of themes that I want to get to, and we have about 20 minutes left. Yeah. Um, so the first is around power and privilege, and I'd love for you to kind of set up the the wheel and the work that you do in that space. And the second is around uh, being an emotional man and masculinity and, and what that looks and feels like and be and Shelton being loud. Um, so maybe we start with wheel of power and privilege uh, and spend the remaining time on, on emotions and uh, being an emotional man. 20 minutes on power and privilege and emotional men. <laughs> this, this is a Ted talk. Um, uh, it's oh gosh. I have the graphic if if it helps to bring it up if you want to talk about it. I'm just trying to like yeah no it's it's um you, you can you're more than well, well uh, welcome to share it I can feel like it's tattooed on the back of my brain now um I'm I'm big into I'm big into when I say the word boundaries I don't mean something that's immovable right um, when I say definition, I don't mean something that's unchangeable. I think that a boundary and a definition is a acknowledgement of the state of something. So if we can agree on what power and privilege are in this moment, um, then we can make decisions from here. Like we, we have a little bit of a base and we'd be like, all right, if this is power and privilege, we can go in this direction. Um, by boundaries like these are things that i am willing to do and not willing to do right 
um, based off of power and privilege. And so thinking of the wheel, this, this helps me, helps individuals that look at it, start defining not it's not static it's ever moving through changes in context get to kind of get a, a sense of a perspective sense of where they are within their power and privilege right and so if we can get a better understanding that i am of high power in this conversation because i don't know maybe one of these these slices it's is like I am of high power because I'm not wearing shoes. Uh, I have a feeling that other people are not wearing shoes, but let's just say that I'm, I'm an unwearing shoe person and I have all the power. Part of my, my personal boundaries is like, I'm not gonna abuse this power and I'm not going to ha ha, you're, you have to wear shoes and, and that. My job acknowledging my power and privilege is to share it, right? And if I don't know what power and privilege I have walking into, into a situation, I don't know how to share. Um, and so this wheel um, has been adapted and, and it's been the, the country of Canada recognizes this wheel. Um, and they look at it, um, uh, and I think it was kind of put together what the understanding and notion that you've got a, a, a large indigenous um, Canadian uh, uh, population that is under-recognized and they, they're trying to get a better sense of how do we start creating equal ground for all citizens of, of Canada. Now, I'm, I'm probably putting a, <laughs> putting a lot on them for, for what I just said there, but it's the idea of let's identify the reality of the situation so that we can make, make plans on where we want to go with it, right? If our, if our plans, our intentions, and our boundaries are we want to improve life for everyone, then we have to look at the people that are the lowest on the, that, that, that power and privilege and be like, we need to help them raise up, right? These people up here, they're fine. We're, we're not trying to take anything away from them, but we're going to ask them to like share power with the, with the other individuals. Uh, the big thing about the wheel that you shared there, Eden, is, is the four places on the bottom. Um, and the four places on the bottom are with the realization that we all are in different situations in different times. And so there's different types of power and privilege in play. Um, if I, we'll just use basketball and continue going down that one. Um, if I went to go to a basketball game um, in my body right now um, to a neighborhood basketball game, I'd probably have high, high, power and privilege because of my stature and my athletic ability, right? That context. Now, if I went to the local gym and the basketball um, teams were all in wheelchairs and I had to play against them, I would then flip that and I would have less power and privilege in that game only because the context has changed. So knowing that our we're fluid beings and we're always in fluid relationships and interactions. Um, being a black man doesn't mean that I'm forever uh, of low power and privilege, right? Um, being a white man doesn't mean you're forever 
in power and privilege in, in the same way, same as women, same, everything. So being able to acknowledge things that might give those um, affordances um, is, I think, I think important when it comes to leadership, like extremely important when it comes to holding space, especially if personal boundaries or personal um, needs is I want everyone to be heard, right? I want everyone to be seen. Um, I want low judgment and high participation. So how do I do that? Right? I got it. We've got to examine power. Let me understand it. I, I think I carry baggage around power and privilege. Feeling uh, some guilt and um, around being in spaces where I hold being being close to the middle section on a lot of these different categories and um, wanting recognizing it, being aware of it, but also then leveraging it in a way where. I can help others feel heard and not judge and lift them up and show that they are felt and heard and seen. Uh, And your description there helped me understand it, that it changes based on where you are and what the environment is and what your role within that environment can and should be. talk about the, the the guilt thing that you you brought up because i think it's 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 holding it holds me back a whole lot um and i know it, it, like you mentioned it it holds you back um it's it's a gremlin right um it's a real loud gremlin that puts things on us that don't really exist mm. uh and going back to our conversation about authenticity and this is where I have to do my own personal work when I feel like I'm in in power within a group of women right um I have to remind myself that my authentic self is to care for them and and be with them and not take control or mansplain or my mom never taught me how to mansplain so I don't really know how to do it too well um but I get to I, I have to remind myself that there's, I should feel no guilt. And if the guilt is it's like that gremlin on my shoulder, if I, it, like my, I'm here to help hold space. And if there's a way that I can almost say it out loud, like I, I acknowledge my space in this room that will potentially make the conversation go sideways or whatever. If there's a point in time, it's kind of like give me some feedback. There's a point in time where I need to exit the room or be quiet or hold space for a perspective. Let me do that um, so that I am holding it as uh, holding the equilibrium with everyone else. So guilt, guilt is guilt is evil. Um, and 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 I, I don't. I, I I believe I'm and everyone's good and I and I think that being able to remind myself of everyone's good is it helps eliminate the, the that stress. Any follow-ups there that you're thinking through, Jess, before we jump to kind of that last topic? No, let's let's get into emotion. Emotional man. 
emotional man. Yeah, you are. Play it. You're proud of it. Uh, it's someone that I look up to and inspire and your ability to be authentic and share and hold space for others. I'd love to hear kind of your your thoughts on modeling these characteristics and behaviors and, and maybe the why of, of why it's so important. Yeah. Um, I, I I was shown I, I used to give I used to give my mom when she was still here. I used to give her Father's Day card, Father's Day cards. I'm gonna cry, um, because I think that she helped me understand what it meant to be a human that happened to be a man. Um, and she was emotionally available. Um, she was loving, and I I could I watched people light up around her. Um, as I got older, I realized that my grandfather did the same thing. I was like, oh, wow, this isn't has to do with my mom. This has to do with just people. My grandmother did the same thing. Um, and I, I think that as a man now, and Jess, you said this a little bit earlier, I feel like it's kind of ingrained in me trying to be as as forthcoming with who I am and whatever emotion I'm feeling, not at, not at the expense of like trying to overshadow someone else's emotion. I find it difficult being a man sometimes um, amongst other men that don't do the work, right? That, that um, and, and this is not a shame or a judgment of those that don't do the, don't do the work because it is, our society and, and and i'm still learning i'm ever learning but bell hooks and a number of other books have really helped me understand that um the culture and society we've been we've built for men and women in combination is not supportive of um an emotional man because it's considered weak um it's considered unattractive it's con you name all of the 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 emotional men are this memes it's it's real it's real sad because then that makes a lot of individuals um, a, lot, a lot of men or those that identify as men um fearful of of being their their authentic self and that's where we started this right there's a meme um speaking of memes of a guy dancing on a hill, right? He's like, he's dancing around and he's, he's at a concert or something like that. And it takes time, people then eventually show up and they dance with him, you know? Then it becomes like a big, big dance party with this one guy. I've tried over the past years to push male friends or even women that are around me like towards empathy. Um, and through hardship, I've realized that you, you can't force change on anyone, um, even with the best of intentions. Um, what be it family members, heck, sometimes self, but definitely not, you know, those outside of the, the friendship realm. And so 
like my modeling um, and me writing that blog post is is yet another form of how can I dance in front of everyone else in a authentic way that is vulnerable, that is emotional, that is, I don't know where I'm going, but I know this is better than where that box is for me. Um, like it, I have to, like my, yes, I hold space, but I don't hold space for either of you to force you into it, right? You, you come and dance with me um, when you can. I, I think that's, that's kind of like my, um, uh, that's my protest, right? That's my march. That is me out there with tickets and signs. Um, like, I'm going to, like, I, I can't tell you to do it, but I'm going to do it myself. And if you want to follow and, and join and enjoy the, the flow that we can find, um, yay. Oh, I, I, now I just need to do it in, maybe in the middle of a football stadium. <laughs> Get some more men involved. When you said um, that's my, my protest, it just reminded me of that there is this Kendrick Lamar song and in the song, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but um, he says, one protest for you, 365 for me, something like that, where mm -hmm. he's, it's basically speaking to his continuing to work on himself wow. and continuing to um, show up authentically it's a my in my opinion it's a phenomenal album um but yeah one protest for you 365 for me so there's this this sort of tension between people that sort of you know show up for appearance versus the people that are doing this daily doing yeah. the work daily and that's, I think, what we see you doing the work daily. And, and, and people don't, you don't get to see always the, now we will, <laughs> now people will, um, but you don't get to see always the complexity of emotion that goes into doing that work um male or female um or whatever um yeah this is not easy stuff it, but it's beautiful and it's 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 um and it it, it create i don't know it's it's great chocolate. <laughs> um, it is fantastic black licorice and popcorn, right? Um, it is it is hearing and, and being able to be heard. It's man, I love that lyric. I need that. I need that album and song now. Like I, I will. I'll send. I'll send it to you. <laughs> wonderful. We'll put in the notes. <laughs> yes, I, I I feel like there's so many notes that I want from this one. Um, it's. I'm trying to like bear with me as I think and look at it, look at a tree. 
Um, it's, we've all been in those situations where, I'm going to go back to that flow, we've all been in that situation where we found and, and really enjoyed the flow we've been in with ourselves or each other. And that is, that's what we're always trying to get back to. And if, if it is a 365 day protest or, or acknowledgement that this is my work, this is who I am, um, the definition of success isn't money or power. The definition of success is, did I live my life? Right. Um, and then, the cherries on top or did I get to help influence other people? There's, you, you, you got me into lyrics and I'm gonna see if I can get this one right. Um, a little bit of an obscure uh, artist, his name's Aesop Rock. Um, yes. You know him? Okay. I'm familiar, yeah. And so I, I don't remember the title of the song, but it's the end of the song um, about this woman named Lucy, if I remember correctly. And upon her deathbed, deathbed, after being having a life of being teased and persecuted and called weird, she she talks about dreams. And at the end, it says she says, uh, uh, "I've um, I've never had a dream in my life because a dream is something that you dream of and you haven't pursued. I've pursued everything I've wanted since day one." And with this, now I'm done. And then she dies, right? And it's beautiful because it's like, like you, you, through this song, you get to hear the lyrics of this person drawing on the, as a child drawing on the sidewalk and doing their thing and, and being an artist and like, like living heart-centered um, and finding love with that, even if it's a weird, obscure thing. But realizing that she, she didn't dream because she lived it, right? And I think that our authenticity is is maybe helping us getting closer to living the dreams that that um, we want to be. Oh man, I got albums. I love that. Oh, that's so good. I think that's I think that's where the I think that's where my emotions are are at it's it's the and maybe that's what maybe that's what it is that overwhelming sense of the importance of this work and the desire to bring it to people and also to keep going in spite of baggage and challenge. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Shelton. Uh, this was yeah. incredible. Uh, we Thank could do you. another 90 minutes and we might have you on for another episode because I, I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg in terms of, uh, of what you're doing and what you know and what you're willing to share. And I uh, just yeah. uh, appreciate you being on and want to say that you're an incredible human being uh, and appreciate Thank the work you. that you're doing. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Um, you two are doing incredible things as well. I mean, this we all like it's we're all dancing, right? Um, and we're joining each other in whatever field or whatever cul-de-sac that we're dancing in. And um, um, 
Yeah, and Joanne. So thank you for having me on.